All right, let's get going. So welcome and thank you for joining us on Colin for our new show, Unruly, with Ryan and Rob. This is your co-host, Ryan Knight, and I'm excited to be joined by our other co-host, Rob Bermudez. How's it going, everyone? And our guest today is Medicare for All activist and organizer, Scott DeSignor. Uh Scott, welcome to Unruly. Thank you, Ryan. I so appreciate you having me on, brother. Um, this is so personal to me. The fight is personal to me. And I could never thank you enough for everything you've done for all of us, not to mention my family personally for this fight. Well, feeling is mutual. And I just realized I totally messed up your name. It's 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 Denoyer, right? Or correct. And it's okay. It's um, that's the French pronunciation. Um, it's been much, much worse. I think the worst I heard was Des Desnagers. So. <laughs> well, before we talk about the upcoming rally that you are planning in, in New York, which I'm excited to talk about, uh, the, the, this new direct action uh, that you're planning, but do you want to start off maybe by sharing with us, especially for our listeners who haven't heard your story before, kind of the events that led up to you becoming a, a Medicare for All activist? Yeah, um, but I, I want to give the listeners a heads up. Um, this story actually involves a lot of suicide. So if you have trigger warnings and you have a hard time dealing with that, I just want to give you a warning that this does have um, a very dark story involved in it. Um, this all started almost exactly three years ago from today. Um, about, well, actually in mid-February of 2019, my oldest son had come into back home to move in with me. Um, he was 29 years old. He had had a couple of domestic problems with um, his baby's mom. And there were some legal um, problems that occurred throughout it, you know? So after he came home with me, about three weeks after he moved in with me, he comes home one day. He's like, Pops, I went to get my medicine refilled today and found out my insurance had been canceled. I'm like, okay, Danny, not a big deal. How much is it? Well, he told us that the medication was going to cost $250, and that is a big deal because I'll, I'll tell you, we don't have $250 today, you know? So I was like, okay, Danny, um, well, you know, you have an appointment with your therapist in a couple of weeks. I'm sure she can help you out. And in the meantime, you know, we'll try to come up with the money, and you need to get a hold of Fidelis Care and find out what's going on. Well... <clears throat> The medication Danny was on was Risperidone and has a known suicidal risk from withdrawals. And Danny didn't call right away. And that were, were, brings us to where we are today. It was just about this day on April 1st or somewhere around this day on, in 2019 that Danny had called Fidelis. And when he did, he found out that he had missed a $20 payment to his ACA's managed Medicaid plan. It was the premium to secure his health insurance on Medicaid that he was unaware of, which goes back to the domestic problem with him being arrested. He had lost his phone. He wasn't able to communicate with where he receives his mail, you know, which this is just something that's common here in America, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And stumbling blocks, you know, hurdles, loops. So when he called, he said he found out that he missed that $20 payment and he pulled his credit card out that day and he paid it on the phone. 
And they told him his um, plan would be reinstated on the next billing cycle of May 1st. And on April 9th, about 11.20 in the morning, he had just left like maybe five, six hours before that to go to work. I see his post on Facebook. Hmm. It shows the cab of his truck overlooking the water. And he says, I just want everyone to know that I love them. I'm saying goodbye. This world wasn't meant for me. Maybe the next life will be better. I super glued my seatbelt, double checked. I don't have the strength to open it and I choose death by drowning because I can't get above this pain. Mm. I'm sorry for hurting those who care. This is selfish, I'm sure. But I've been staring at the water for hours now and I've made my decision. Daniel and Hazel, I'm so fucking sorry. My grandchildren. I was sitting at the kitchen table when I read this and my wife was sitting across the table and my granddaughter right next to me and I screamed out what I was reading and I knew this wasn't something I knew this was real I I, I lived five minutes from Saratoga Lake and I wasn't aware that he was at the Mohawk River I had assumed he was at the lake because that's where we live you know I jumped in the car and I ran down the lake. I was trying to find them, you know. I thought if I could find some bubbles or muddy water or something, you know, I could jump in and save them. Hmm. About 20 minutes went by before I realized no person could have survived that long. And I had to turn around and come home and tell Anna that our boy was dead, you know, because he missed a $20 payment to an insurance company hmm. for Medicaid. So... I was um, pissed. I was real pissed. I had 35 followers on Twitter and I tweeted out in anger what happened. And the tweet went viral. I had like 37,000 retweets in two weeks and I was able to reach uh, Bernie's campaign because I would realized that this is done on purpose. Hmm. It is one, again, it was a known suicide withdrawals and after getting involved i had learned that there's actually a term called churning in the insurance industry that describes exactly what they did to danny they turn them on and off the plans they get funded by the government to provide medicaid for that patient but don't have to provide any care now the founder of fidelis care is a Father Patrick Frawley, an ordained minister of the Brooklyn Catholic Diocese. Now, they no longer have to take a vow of poverty, but instead they take a vow to lead a life of simplicity consistent with those they wish to serve. Father Frawley, when, when, I, when I lost Danny, I investigated who you know, was the CEO of Fidelis, and that's when I heard about Father Frawley, and I was sickened that a priest is denying Medicaid patients health care for profits. But what I didn't learn is four months before we lost Danny, not only did Father Frawley sell uh, Fidelis Care to Centene for $3.8 billion, he was promoted to, of all things, VP Social Responsibilities. Jesus 
Christ. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're selling Jesus Christ to Medicaid patients. Oh. Like, holy crap. In 2018, and I could be wrong about the states, but I think it was Mississippi and Iowa had sued Centene for making it so difficult for Medicaid patients to find a doctor that, that they can be seen. They were denying them treatment by making it difficult to find a doctor. $26.7 million. We all know that denying treatment, a percentage of those patients will die. 100% a percentage of them, whether it's 12% of the patients that were denied treatment die or 8% Whatever, those patients will die, and they know it. They know it, and they do it because they get paid more money to let those people die. A priest. It's disgusting. So you were talking about the event. The event that I'm planning is April 9th of this year. And eight days will be the third anniversary of Danny's death, his murder. So I'm going to be in front of Fidelis Care in Amherst, New York. And I am demanding that Father Patrick Frawley step down as VP of Seat Centene and join us. If he's a man of God like he says he is, he will join us and fighting for single-payer universal health care. He, he will demand that Medicare for All replace his former employer, Centene. And he will demand with us that the New York Health Act replace his founding corporation, Fidelis Care, until we can reach that level. Because let's face it, we have a very steep uphill climb to get to national-level Medicare for All. But you know what? We can get the New York Health Act to replace his monstrous company this year. We have the votes in the assembly and in the Senate, and we could take that money away from Centene and save these people's lives here in New York instead. Or Mr. Frawley can admit that no man of God would ever, ever profit off of the suffering and the deaths of the poorest among us by denying Medicaid patients health care and renounce his title of priest. There, there's so much to unpack here. Um, and I just, I want to thank you so much, Scott, uh, for uh, your service uh, to the, the Medicare for All movement and for, for, your, for your sacrifice and for everything your family is doing. Uh, but I want to step back a little bit because, you know, after losing your son, Danny, to the greed of our for-profit insurance industry, you could have easily chosen, you know, to give up. But instead, you chose to fight back uh, against our corrupt system and fight for everyone in this country to have guaranteed health care. And I just want to tell you, you know, personally, I am so moved, uh, Scott, by your courage, uh, your resolve, and, and your selflessness. And I think that's something that we could all learn uh, from uh, especially right now with so much injustice going on in our country uh, and, and in our world. So if you don't mind sharing, where did you find the courage to, to right after the, the most traumatic event 
and injustice was committed against your family. How did you find the courage to fight for others uh, in, in such a moment of despair? Well, I mean, there's, there's, it's a mixed thing. Of, it's a mixed bag. First off, when that tweet went viral, I realized I could use that to move the needle forward to stop Danny's killers from hurting anyone else. Hmm. That's what I want to do. We can't save Danny, you know? All those stories that I heard on that viral tweet from so many other parents, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've retold the story of Abby. Um, and I, I'm going, I have to share it again because Abby's mom, I don't even know her real name. On Twitter, she goes by somebody loves us or Jesus loves us. It's changed, I think. But um, Abby's mom reached out to me when she heard Danny's story. And uh, she was out on the streets and she was addicted to, um, I believe, heroin. And when she heard Danny's story, she went to a church and she got cleaned up. Now, shortly after I started my activism, I was in Portland, Oregon. And I'm sure, Ryan, you've been there and seen the homeless tents, you know, for, for miles. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, I was thinking any one of those people could have been Abby's mom, right? So here's why Abby's mom ended up on the streets and self-medicating with um, heroin. Abby was born with an autoimmune disease that was genetically passed to her from her mother. It was before the ACA's uh, pre-existing clause. So Abby was born with a pre-existing condition. Abby's mom was covered under her insurance, corporate insurance plan, but Abby was not. Now, I just explained to you the very technical term as to how you know Abby died at the age of two because you know she wasn't be able to be treated for this disease. But that is not at all what Abby's mom saw. What Abby's mom saw, not that she passed a disease genetically to her daughter, but she gave her daughter a disease, like a Christmas gift, you know? And then Abby's mom felt, I'm taking care of myself and letting Abby die because I'm not taking care of her like I'm taking care of myself. So, yeah. Abby's mom self-medicated. And any time I walked by with those homeless tents, well, I could think again, people hate them for how they got there. Holy shit, this world sucks. Somebody's got to fight for Abby's mom, right? Yeah. And, and Scott, I think you, you know, when, when we talk about issues, uh, regarding healthcare, regarding protections for some of the most vulnerable people in society. I think one of the the main plagues with this country is we're so conditioned to see a person as just a number, right? As a statistic, as, as being completely removed from reality. And I think just hearing stories of making it personal that, you know, your son isn't just a statistic. He's He's not just someone who slipped in the crack. He was someone who was loved and someone who quite frankly were, we were robbed 
as a society every day when when people are are lost to to the greed that that's allowed over um, 68,000 over well over 68,000 a year um, yeah I, I like to bring up on a regular basis that Yale study pointed out the 68,000 of people that were insured that could not afford or were uninsured that could not afford that treatment that would have saved their life. What the Yale study also pointed out that many people missed 26,000 more underinsured people that have health insurance that couldn't afford the deductible. Uh, skip going to the doctor for a copay and didn't get diagnosed. You know, on and on. That's another 26,000 lives ignored. That brings that total to somewhere around, I believe, 97,000, which is 262 lives every single day to profit. Somebody who's going to just change a number in their bank account and will never even be able to spend that money. It's no, so much. It, it, it's unimaginable. It's, it's unimaginable the amount of pain and suffering that is inflicted uh, in the name of corporate greed uh, and by these insurance companies. And it's why, like, you know, sometimes people I'll hear people or people will think that it's better for corporations to be in charge of our health insurance than the government. But when the sole motivation of corporations is making more profits and not saving more lives, why would anyone trust a corporation to do the right thing, especially when the entire business model of these big insurance companies is to profit from denying people's health care claims? Scott, do you want to expand uh, a little more on that, just on the business model of these insurance companies and why they are the last people we should ever trust with something as important as our health care? Well, I mean, we, we've already learned how you know they were willing to throw Danny's life away. Again, it was a known suicidal risk. Fidelis Care did not have to pay for that medication that would have been paid for by the federal government through Medicaid. Plus, Fidelis Care gets subsidies every single year for covering or managing these Medicaid cases. They decided to cut him off knowing it was there. Again, they didn't know Danny was going to die. They knew a percentage of people that were denied care would die. To me, that sounds like legalized manslaughter. They know somebody's going to die and there is no disregard for the loss of their life. That's manslaughter. But it's legalized. Um, and it's sanctioned by the state because the state is is contracting out uh, healthcare that's supposed to be for the public, a program like Medicaid, and they're contracting it out to for-profit corporations who will deny people's claims. <laughs> and let's talk about Wendell Potter. You, you're familiar yep. with Wendell Potter. Of course. Um, down from Cigna because of a 17-year-old little girl had a liver transplant that should have been approved by Cigna. Fought with a board for, I think, seven months. And finally got it approved too late. She died just weeks after he got it approved before she could get the surgery scheduled. It was very easy for Wendell Potter to understand that these lies are killing people. And now he's one of the biggest advocates of all. So for me to ask Father Frawley to step down and join us is not out of character for any person with morals. But we were talking about the 68,000 lives. 
during COVID, all right, Centene had made $60.1 billion in 2018 and had a 24% growth by adding managed Medicaid. You're talking about the hypocrisy of why they shouldn't be in charge of our healthcare. During COVID, by denying elective surgeries and more treatment, they doubled within two years in 2020 to $111.8 billion. The faster we died during a pandemic, the more money they made doubling their profits in two years. Holy shit, how can you not tell that these monsters make money hand over fist by denying us healthcare, not supplying? One out of three COVID deaths could have been prevented if we had a single payer universal healthcare system. One out of three, 33% of the COVID deaths in America could have been avoided, but somebody had to make money off of their deaths. I'd like to talk a little bit about Medicare for all. It's it's a term that's been used. It's gained a lot of popularity. Polls show it's it's overwhelmingly um, across the aisle. I think over 70% of all people, regardless of, of what party they're affiliated with, are in support of, of Medicare for all. But I think there's some confusion. And um, could you clarify when you say Medicare for all, what do you mean? Are you referring to... Um, completely getting rid of all private insurance, which personally I believe has to be the way to do it? Or or do you think there's some other way to achieve single payer that might be a little quicker, a little easier to get to? Um, no, no, I'm 100% with you when um, we say Medicare for all. And we're not talking about the current system Medicare. We're talking removing all the loopholes. We're talking an improved national level Medicare for all is my ultimate goal. Um, we do get a lot of kickback because I also advocate for a state level legislation, being that I believe, as you had mentioned, um, some of these plans as say that we could keep a corporate insurance company in play. I disagree. And I believe you were also aware of when uh, Senator Kamala Harris shared Danny's story. And then three weeks later, she introduced her plan for corporations like Centene to sell us Medicare. So, Ryan, seriously, if Centene was selling Danny Medicare and he misses $20 payment, how would this be helpful? Especially if insurance companies are going to stay in play, they're going to still continue to deny care and make hurdles and co-pays and deductibles and do everything they can to increase their profits. No, absolutely. I mean, I support the complete uh, abolition of the for-profit insurance industry. I, I don't think that I don't think an industry that profits off of denying people health care should exist. I, I think the entire industry is immoral. Uh, so when I talk about Medicare for all, uh, a national single payer system, uh, that's what I'm referring to. It's completely dismantling the 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 uh, for-profit insurance company and having a single-payer system, uh, meaning that the government is the payer. People still keep their same doctors, uh, unlike Obama's promise. <laughs> you keep your same doctor. Uh, there's still providers, healthcare providers, but but the government uh, 
would be the single payer. We'll pay for everyone's in- insurance. Uh, I just don't think there's any other way to do it. And I did a little research on Satine, the parent company of Fidelis, who killed your son. And I think you alluded to some of this earlier, Scott. But here's what I found with just 20 minutes of research on Satine uh, or Centene. In April of 2021, HealthNet, one of their subsidiaries, agreed to pay $97 million to settle allegations that it had duplicated and inflated claim claims submitted to the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, the fa- uh, two months later, in June of 2021, Centene agreed to pay $88 million to Ohio and $55 million to Mississippi to for allegations that it had misrepresented costs to procure uh, Medicaid overpayments. Uh, Then in September of 2021, Centene agreed to pay more than $56 million to Illinois and $15 million to Arkansas uh, to resolve allegations that one of its subsidiaries had submitted inaccurate bills uh, and overcharged uh, Medicaid. Uh, And then finally in December of 2021, Centene agreed to pay $27 million to Kansas to settle allegations that it had failed to disclose discounts and used other strategies to obtain more profit from Kansas's Medicaid program. Oh, and there was one more, actually. In January of this year, of 2022, Centene agreed to pay $21 million to New Hampshire to settle allegations that it had overcharged the state's Medicaid program. So just to summarize all of this, not only does Satine profit by denying people's healthcare claims and life-saving medication uh, like they did to Danny, uh, but they have been sued and settled multiple times with state governments for overbilling state Medicaid programs and submitting fraudulent claims. So they won't cover people's healthcare claims, but they'll submit fraudulent claims to the government to, to increase their profits. This is criminal. Why are we allowing this to go on? Their business model is to profit off denying people life-saving medication. Shouldn't an industry that kills people for profit, Scott, be completely dismantled and replaced? They should be. They should be tried for the crimes of killing people. Amen. Why is our government selling them to us? Seriously, they are the biggest beneficiary of the managed Medicaid plan. Those lawsuits we're talking about. They put a total of $1.3 billion aside for that RICO lawsuit. The ones I was talking about predated those. That was because that's what I was talking about, how Frawley still sold Fidelis to Centene, knowing prior to him that that sale, that Centene had been sued for $26.7 million for making it difficult for Medicaid patients to get treatment. Hmm. That was a totally different lawsuit. That and that was hard to find now because of that $1.3 billion RICO lawsuit. Now, how much is $1.3 billion over three or four years of fraudulating the company when they just doubled their profits in two years from $60.1 billion to $111.8 billion? It's nothing. It's a drop in the water. They expected these lawsuits. They increased their their revenue so that they prepared for it so they could pay these lawsuits and have it be a drop in the bucket. Yeah. But the whole, the whole thought is they're denying people's healthcare claims yet they're submitting fraudulent claims to just further line their pockets. I mean, it's, it's like money laundering. 
Our literally our insurance system is literally a money laundering scheme. And, and, and our government supports it and promotes it. And it's state sanctioned. Um, we looks like we have some callers. Rob, do you want to start taking some callers? Yeah. Why don't we start? I think Terrence looks like you're first in the queue. Uh, you are ready to go. You just go ahead and unmute yourself and we'll be able to hear you. Right. Uh, Terrence, you're, Terrence you're, are you there? Can you hear us? Uh, can you have to unmute yourself to to ask? Oh, here I am. Hi, Scott. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Rob. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So I don't I don't want to take any uh, time away from this uh, super important event that's com- going on um, next week. I guess it would be unforgivable sin. And for those who are listening if you go to the chat at the bottom there's a link to the event and i really hope um as we get as many people as we can up there to upstate new york in in amherst i'm sorry that i will not be able to attend but i'm doing my best to you know boost this event as much as possible um so yeah so i didn't want to take too much of uh your guys time but um scott it's always good to talk to you i'm so excited for your event it's going to be awesome um, and thank you so much to Ryan and Rob for, uh, for platforming Scott's story. Whenever you, whenever anyone hears the, his story, it's really hard not to be moved. Like, I, I can't imagine anyone hearing his story and not just thinking this is, you know, this is a travesty. This is something that absolutely needs to change. And, um, so I guess the only other thing I'd say, other than obviously that we need to pass Medicare for all and, uh, fight on all fronts to get there, you know, whatever it takes to get us closer is that we need a real multi-party democracy um, to build to build our way there. Um, and that's that's something that we should be fighting for in parallel um, with that. And I, I guess the only other thing that I, I want to say is uh, I see Lisa and Laura um, in, behind me in the queue. Um, these are all, you know, great healthcare activists like um, Scott that are in this fight that are on the ground, um, you know, making stuff happen and holding events like this. Um, and I believe there are solidarity events, you know, kind of throughout the country. Um, so yeah, I, did, I didn't want to say too much, but I just wanted to kind of, you know, uh, thank you guys for, for, for boosting Scott and boosting this event. Um, uh, and I guess I'll also just say thank you, Ryan, for participating in the, uh, the third party summit. I was one of the candidates there and uh, we really appreciated you uh, being involved and in boosting the event as well. Oh, of course. And uh, Terrence, thank you for getting out there and running for office as a third party candidate. Candidate, I, I believe that is the only way uh, we'll have multi-party democracy in this country. Uh, and I know how much courage it takes to challenge both corporate parties. So I applaud your courage uh, and thank you for, for being in the fight. Um, uh, you brought up something I think is interesting. And, and Scott, I think you alluded to it, too, uh, where there was some kind of controversy in, in the progressive movement because of, you know, there's efforts uh, at the state level. And of course, we're also fighting uh, at the federal level because uh, the goal is Medicare for all is for everyone in this country to have guaranteed health care. And for me personally, I always thought that the 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 fighting between the two was ridiculous. Like, I think we need to have all hands all hands on deck. And I support every strategy that is going to get us to, uh, you know, Medicare for all. And if, you know, we can get that in New York first uh, with the New York Health Act, and then that can create, uh, you know, the momentum we need to to get more states. And then finally, uh, uh, you know, to get Medicare for all. 
Uh, well, at the same time, like, you know, I've always stayed strong and supported just Medicare for all, but why not uh, fight as, in as many areas as possible? And also when you realize just how corrupt uh, both parties are, uh, especially at the federal level. I mean, let's not <laughs> pull any punches here. The, the Democrats and Republicans are corrupt on the on the local and state level as well. But I think the corruption at the federal level, when we had uh, $15 billion uh, was spent in the 2020 election for president and Congress, uh, and it was the Democrats actually who raised and spent more money than the Republicans. I think it was about $7 billion, uh, and, and the Republicans spent about $5 billion. When you have parties that are spending, we're taking that much corporate money and, and and spending that much money to get power, they're never going to uh, support single-payer health care. They're never going to support any policy that helps the working class because their entire function uh, is to serve and, and write laws for the rich and, and, and for the ruling class, for the corporations who put them into power. So, uh, you know, if we can, if we can better uh, fight back against uh, this entrenched corporate power at the state level, uh, let's do it. You know, I just I've, I've always been an all hands on deck person. As long as we're challenging corporate power, as long as we're not um, we're not being co-opted, especially by the Democratic Party that loves to fool us with all these platitudes of hope and change. And I used to be fooled by them as well. But as long as we're actually challenging these politicians and fighting for, for policies, I'm all on board for that. Right. And I'll, I'll tell you, Ryan, I mean, in all fairness, um, the the infighting, I want to touch on it briefly. I don't want to add any more fuel to the fire. Um, you're right. We all need to come together. And I do understand the opposition's, you know, uh, with the infighting. You know, they're worried that if we fail, that if people could point towards it and say, you know, it doesn't work and it makes our opposition, it makes our fight harder. Um, I get it. I, I, I'm thinking if we win, we get the movement moving further. We take money away from the insurance. We save lives. We're not stopping in New York. As you know, I work with the whole Washington. I work with CalCare. I work with MassCare. And I will work with anybody trying to destroy the insurance industry that is willing to kill our children. Yeah, and you support national uh, Medicare for all as well. So like you can fight on both fronts. Yes. Fight on all fronts. Yes. No, no general has ever said, let's do a frontal attack and have nothing flanking from the side. We'll put all of our force right in the front and go straight in. Right. Well, it, what was weird to me is people who were being targeted. I'm like, wait a second. Like, I know some of these people and I know they support national uh, Medicare for all, but they're also fighting uh, for single payer at the state level. Like they support both. Like, I just thought it was, uh, you know, I, it's not it wasn't an either or thing. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to use state efforts. Now, you know, we're not going to support the the, the efforts at the federal level. It was they've always supported both. So I just that was weird. Let's get Lisa on the phone because I think uh, she's familiar with this topic. Hello. Hi, Rob. Hi, Brian. Hello, Scott. Hello, Lisa. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I just, I want to make real quick, I want to point out that I not only put the GoFundMe link in the chat and a link to the Amherst event, but I also put a link to the Twitter thread that has all of the links to every event that we're having. We're going one in Tacoma. That's a solidarity event. There's a people rally, people's rally in Sacramento being held on April 9th that is a solidarity event. And our latest edition is an Albany event 
that is being held on April 9th. And all of those links and the GoFundMe are in the chat um, so everybody can access them. And on the topic of fighting on all fronts and why it is in my belief, and I was in healthcare uh, as finance officer for 10 years prior to the ACA and all the way up through. I, we were a healthcare, private healthcare provider. We provided healthcare to two thirds of the state of Pennsylvania and a large portion of the population for the state of Washington. What I can tell you, and Scott touched on the RICO lawsuit, and I just want to make, I want to point something out here. One of the ways that I truly believe we're going to win this fight is to destabilize the insurance industry by region. When Scott was pointing out the reserves that Fidelis put on the books for when they sold the plan to Centene, the Fidelis plan is still called the Fidelis plan. It is in New York state, the privatized Medicare plan is still under the name of Fidelis, but it is owned by Centene now. That is a health insurance product. If we were to go to a state single payer situation in New York, what that would mean is that you would immediately be able to take the Medicare uh, trust fund and under there, under that Social Security Act, it allocates for both Medicare and Medicaid funding. Those insurance plans get that money out of those public funding mechanisms for underwriting. If you go at this by a state public trust, the trust itself will take those funds for individuals that are beneficiaries, and they will automatically come away from the underwriting that is for profit. When you do that, you are literally destabilizing a regional underwriting of insurance. And people don't necessarily conceptualize that. It is why we truly believe that this is the way to eat away at that elephant. Because as soon as one state is successful at doing this, that will send shockwaves through not only your representation, but through the insurance industry. And then people will start to realize that there is no such thing as Medicare running out of money. That is a big, probably the biggest ruse, the lie that people have been sold. Do you really think that Congress will stop appropriating money to Medicare if the insurance industry is so hell-bent on getting their hands on it for privatization? Of course it won't. That is a lie. Medicare will never run out of money because if it did, the insurance industry would not be able to underwrite these plans with those dollars. Is that, is that starting to make sense? 
Oh, it, it absolutely makes sense to me. What 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 aggravates me though is is that we have this middleman that is allowed to use benefits that are intended to go to the people, uh, and sell sell and basically deny people care. Uh, and profit off that. I, I just think so. You're absolutely right. If we can ta- if we can tackle it region by region to destabilize uh, these these for profit insurance companies, I'm all for that. Well, and that is something that people don't understand as well. Back in 2010, when the ACA was passed, all of the mechanisms to make happen what has come to fruition over the last, gosh, it's almost 12 years now, they were all in there. This is not something that wasn't pre-planned all the way back when they signed that ACA. It's a, it's a complex insurance underwriting and, and, you know, CMS is the adjudicator of claims when you bill Medicare. But CMS also has a body that sits on top of it now that was also created with the, with the uh, ACA which is CMMI. And CMMI regulates how claims get paid. What people don't know is that Centene has a major part in adjudication of claims for CMS. They're actually one of the adjudicators for CMS. So it is incredibly important for those who can conceptualize what this means. There is no way that we can count on the politicians to keep Medicare for all on their lips unless they're running on it. And we have proof of that because of what happened ever since Biden got into office. You never saw anybody tweet from Congress about it or the Senate talking about it because it's not on the platform and they weren't allowed. Now, when they're running for office, they are then again allowed to start campaigning. And while they're in campaigning mode, you're going to, now that's why we're starting to see everybody talk about Medicare for all again. And yes, I think there are legitimate, true intentions in some of our representation to put this back in the public discourse. But once they're off of campaign mode, they are going to be again in that situation where it's not on the platform. Nobody's got it. You know, it's buried in committee. Nobody's planning on bringing it to a vote. You don't talk about it. Well, and I, I just think if you look at Satine, for instance, the, the company we've been talking about today, I went and see, looked at how much they've been donating uh, to get all these cushy contracts from the government. And they gave $5 million uh, just this last year, or excuse me, in the 2020 cycle. And they gave half of that money to Democrats and half to Republicans. So while Democrats might provide lip service on Medicare for all, the entire party, just like the Republicans, is corrupt to its core. It's completely owned by these big insurance companies. And the party is never going to support Medicare for all as long and pass Medicare for all. Shoot, they have a majority right now. But they're not bringing it to a floor vote because Speaker Pelosi won't let them bring it to a floor vote because the party is owned by the insurance companies. So I think what's important is the American people are, are much smarter than, than these politicians who talk down to them, uh, give them credit for. You know, exactly. I think that the people know the insurance companies are ripping them off. The people know both parties are ripping them off because the, the, the working class in this country is doing worse and worse no matter who wins, no matter if it's the red team or the blue team. So I think what Scott is doing and what you guys are doing to hold 
uh, an event outside of a one of the most corrupt uh, private insurance companies in the country. Uh, I think that's important because I think it shines a light on the corruption and it shows people kind of that this is what we need to get rid of. We don't want to save private insurance. We mm-hmm. want a, a, you know, we want insurance that is guaranteed that can, you can't have your claims denied. Uh, uh, we don't need, that's never going to happen in a for-profit private insurance market. And Scott, very- is that kind of your uh, thought of having the event at Fidelis? Um, first off, I want to touch on, go back one moment for the solidarity events. I am so honored and so uh, blessed. Oh, oh my goodness. Solidarity events in Tacoma. Um, Laura Fielding is hosting that one. Sakuru in Sacramento, California. And then we have Brandy in Fayetteville. Uh, uh, <laughs> Fayetteville, uh, which would not, not, not Arkansas. There we go. And then we have Albany, New York. And also New York City DSA is having a bike rally on the same day, April 9th, and is also going to coordinate the vigil part of our event with their bike rally for the New York Health Act. So going back to the original question, sorry about that, Ryan. I just really want to no, give no, my- please. And thank you so much, Lisa, for for your for calling in and, and and your great insights. I think that was you gave a great breakdown. Really appreciate it. But the reason, um, there's actually a much closer building to me than um, the one I've chosen, Amherst. There's one in New York City that is their corporate building, but it has nowhere on there Fidelis. Actually, it has an Applebee's underneath it. That's the only sign on the building. But the reason I really chose Amherst is the building we're going to is the data processing center which when we hear about the false narratives of government-run or government-controlled health care, they tell us that the government will have death panels, and that's what we need to be afraid of, as if denying claims to the poorest among us aren't those death panels. <laughs> Where does that happen? At the data processing center. That is the death panels we are going in front of right there. The real death panels is where we're protesting. So you're going to the actual center where they're denying uh, life-saving medication to people and denying people's claims. The epicenter of claim denials. That's that's powerful. The main epicenter for claim denials of managed Medicaid being that Centene is the managed Medicaid biggest beneficiary. So, I mean, they might have bigger buildings in other states, but in New York, yeah, this is the epicenter. Well, and I find this also ironic and hypocritical that the Republicans and even Democrats will fearmonger about socialized medicine when programs that are supposed to be socialized medicine, like Medicare, they're not even really socialized because they privatized so much of it out to these for-profit corporations. So here we have, you know, the Democrats, God bless them, they, they do, they're trying to keep the act up and, and, and the deceit up to the people, but they're having Medicare for all hearings this week in Congress, while Joe Biden's administration is advancing the, the Trump era policy of continuing to privatize Medicare. So, like, we're so far away from anything that resembles justice in this country that we, we don't have anything that, not even Medicare and Medicaid is socialized because so much of it is contracted out to these profit, these for-profit companies who are denying people's claims. Well, well, like you had mentioned that the hearings, I mean, 
and I'm, I'm probably one of the most, I, I don't feel that I'm like anybody important. I'm just Danny's dad, you know, with a, Danny has a horrible story and I'm just somebody who won't shut up. I'm not going to let my son's murder continue to murder other people, you know, so I'm not, I'm nothing important, but there are some real big Medicare for all advocates out there that we've all heard of Rebecca Wood. Uh, we've heard of Amy Valella and Adi Barkin. They didn't invite any of those other three. They, they invited Adi Barkin, which who did Adi get behind during the primaries? It was Elizabeth Warren who said that there's still room for private, not corporate. She said private insurance and in our healthcare system. So, I mean, I, I thank Adi for all the work he's done to move the needle forward for Medicare for all. But giving any sort of leeway to the insurance industry is not going to work. You're right on that, Brian. We have to totally remove them from our healthcare system. No business in our healthcare. And you also mentioned earlier about um, the choice of doctors. With a single-payer universal health care system, not only do they get to keep their doctors, but they have more choice than they ever had because everybody, every doctor is in the same network. That's right. All right. Laura, you are next in the caller queue. I want to make sure you get a chance to speak up. Um, and for those who might not know, uh, Laura has been a guest before on Amped Up and, and a great organizer for whole Washington so, Laura, if you go ahead and unmute yourself, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Oh, she looks like she took herself out of the caller queue. So if you want to go ahead and, and add yourself back, uh, we'll take the next caller. We'll take Kusha. Oh, actually, there, there she is. There's Laura. Laura. Okay. Make next caller. All right, Laura, if you just hit the little microphone, you'll unmute yourself and we'll be able to hear you. There you go. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Um, wow, I just I just barely noticed there was a chat <laughs> function. This, and this is not the first call in that I've listened to, but I can't um, can't believe that. I guess it takes me a minute to learn the platforms. Um, uh, thank you both so much for um, for hosting this and for amplifying um, Scott's event and the solidarity events being held. And um, just I. I think everybody's covered everything that I would have wanted to contribute um, besides just a couple of things. I want to uh, loop back to Terrence and say thank you for kind of opening that discussion about, you know, you kind of the fighting on all fronts, like just just working in every way that we can to put pressure on on uh, the corruption locally and federally and all of it all at once. So I really appreciate you, Terrence, for sort of opening that discussion. And, um, and then I just really want to say so much gratitude to Lisa, who, who spoke, Lisa Theobald, um, who is, you know, the operations director for Red Berets Medicare for All. She and I connected on Twitter and she's, um, as you could hear from the, uh, from the bit that she spoke, just what an incredible um, foundational knowledge that she has. So I bring a lot of the, uh, the creativity to the Red Berets for Medicare for All. Um, and I don't have that um, <laughs> depth of knowledge. And I think I could listen to people who do understand it um, quite a few times over and still not uh, be able to answer those questions or repeat things in in that in a cogent way. So um, I just really can't. But but Lisa, we've sort of found each other on Twitter 
uh, so long ago when we were both kind of amplifying Warren Gunnels and all of that stuff. And what I really so much appreciate is that we all bring our gifts and what we have to offer to this movement. And, you know, um, Lisa recognized the creativity of the idea and um, and she brings all of this um, operational uh, knowledge and, and all of her uh, all of her wisdom and um, so I'm just really, really appreciative um, for for these relationships that when we're open minded to it, there's an incredible amount of organizing that can happen like online. And again, you know, Ryan, I, I, I know I say these things on Twitter and it probably gets like, OK, OK, enough already. Thanks for the thanks. But, um, you know, that that interview with with you both are on Amped Up podcast over a year ago. Uh, that that made it possible for somebody to reach out and and now you know bring a documentary where it's not out yet but where Scott's uh, gets to tell Danny's story and hopefully it gets to be brought to the masses and we you know we've been able uh, through that work through that one interview that you did uh, with me that was about both whole Washington and the Red Berets. Um, you know, it's just incredible to me what can happen when we're open-minded and we're, when we're connected up and ha- sort of the creative force that connects all of us. And this is why I do believe that we can achieve a national uh, improved Medicare for all system is because we are all connected and we, we when we lift each other up and, and, and recognize the strengths that we all bring to this movement, uh, suddenly we have Wendell Potter in the film and we have, you know, all the people that are going to be in the film. And, and I think there's and, an yeah. NFL football player um, who's <laughs> very passionate about healthcare, which is amazing. He's, he's very, he's awesome. Uh, no, yes. that was incredible. And I didn't even know that the, that uh, Kenny, the, the documentary, documentary filmmaker, I didn't even know he listened to our podcast. So right. like, it was when you told me that, Oh, after the interview, a documentary filmmaker reached out who listens to your podcast, Ryan, and now he wants to make a movie about the Medicare for All movement. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I had no idea. Like, I'm just grateful that we're bringing more, that's going to bring more attention to the movement. I'm And yes. I'm grateful that, again, that you guys are fighting at the state level and we're, and federal level. And, yes. you know, anytime anyone has the courage to challenge uh, these powerful corporations and politicians who just want to, you know, keep exploiting us and keep exploiting the people to enrich themselves. I- I'm amazed by the courage because, you know, everything in our society is set up to just, you know, sp- to, to continue the status quo and to continue this greedy system. And so when people rise up, I mean, that's what I'm passionate about, seeing other people. And then when we do it together, that's when we can really make an impact. And we saw that today with the, with the Amazon, uh, the first union now uh, ever in Amazon and in the history of Amazon workers have finally been able to organize a union. And I just look at that as like the only way to beat corporate power is with people power is with us. And we can do it if we put enough of our efforts together and we keep fighting. I mean, these, these narratives they use to divide us and the narratives the politicians use to tell us we don't, can't have Medicare for all, they're starting to fall apart because the people realize 
what that we that we deserve it you know that we everyone deserves dignity and justice in this country and i think it starts with everyone having guaranteed health care and so um you know this issue is really i think at the forefront of the progressive movement right now and i think when the politicians dropped the ball and the progressives didn't bring it to a, a medicare for all to a floor vote that just opened up the opportunity for movement leaders to lead. And Laura, you've been one of those movement leaders. Um, and I just appreciate your courage and your bravery. And I always see you fighting and you're always kind. Uh, and I just appreciate you very much. So it's cool to see all these people call in that I love. Can I, um, Ryan, really, really fast. Can These are both calls to action. Can I get a quick um, one thing was that Georgia Davenport wanted to she's on the road, but she said somewhere on Twitter, she because uh, she um, I think she's either listening or um, whatever. The point is, if for, for the links that are in the chat, if if anyone listening to this now or that comes along later that listens to it, uh, will do, will donate fifty dollars to uh, the GoFundMe to help uh to help fund, uh, to, to help cover some of the travel expenses for speakers like Afeni and other people that are that are coming up uh, to speak at Scott's event, uh, Georgia will match, uh, will do a matching donation of $50. Or maybe if everybody that listens wants to chip in five or 10, however that looks. Um, so I was supposed to make that announcement. That's number one. My second thing. Beautiful. Uh, Thank you. And my second thing is just this. I want to float the question because I'm I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's always the thing of like, we're always grateful if we can get 15 people, 20 people, 75. It's kind of hard to get people to come out and do a grassroots action and really show up, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm loving that that people are going to show up and we're going to be deeply appreciative, however many and whoever shows up in person to Scott's event and to any of these um, solidarity events. And I guess I want to float the question, I think like uh, somebody from Kerberos Media, um, but I would certainly like put the call to action out to say, you know, could we let anybody from um, other independent media, can we maybe we just try to make sure that Scott, that somebody gets to, or that, that we get the good live stream that there's maybe at least one or maybe more than one um, independent media that can come cover the live stream. My biggest wish for, uh, for Scott and Anna and uh, Danny's memory um, for April 9th would be that we get a lot of social media amplification of whatever live stream that there is, um, because I know that people cannot be there in person. Uh, those who can, like I already just said, we were very deeply appreciative of. But um, and so, you know, thank you for doing this show. And then if people can just put their heads together and think, how can we make sure that there's a live stream? I think, you know, and and how can we amplify that to where as many people online can be uh, moved uh, and challenged to amplify Scott's uh, calls to action. Um, we'll really appreciate that. I, that was a little meandering, but hopefully you got the point. And thank you so much for hosting this today. Uh, Ryan and Rob, really appreciate you. Thank you, Laura. Rob, do you want to add anything? Oh, I just, you know, it's, I, I think one of the the things that gets me down at times in this country is the this forced feeling of individualism. Uh, there are so many problems that we have in our society, and they are completely systemic. And the response is often, well, 
what have you done? Have you done enough? Did you make sure you were still on your insurance? Did you make sure that you didn't fall into any of the landmines? And it's just really uplifting. And, and like it does at times where it feels kind of hopeless seeing just how people can come together. And like the only way we're going to get through these issues is with community. It's with like banding together. Cause if we're all just left to, to act as individuals and say, well, the solutions are individual, the responsibility is individual. That's, that's just a trap that gets set up so that we're, we're essentially set up to fail. And so it's really great. And even just seeing all the messages in the chat pop up of people donating and it's, it is humbling knowing that, you know, just, uh, a show where we have very, very thankful to have Scott coming on and, and it just seeing how much positive energy and how much buzz is getting uh, created from it. It's, it's great. It, it leaves me feeling hopeful in a time where it, it can be very hard to find hope these days. Hmm. And I see, I think we have one more caller. Uh, Kusha, you are the next caller. Let me make sure. There we go. If you want to go ahead and unmute yourself. Hello, good afternoon, Rob and Ryan. Nice to be in dialogue with the both of you again. And it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with Scott. I first learned about him, I think, shortly before, around the time when there was a, a video conference that Ryan spoke at as well, and Justin Jackson and Jimmy Dore and some others about their healthcare experiences and the devastation that's um, created by the uh, big pharma and health insurance uh, titans. And he's very inspiring. And the fact that he uses the pain, Scott uses the pain of his son, his precious son, Danny, being robbed from him, his life being stolen from him. And he makes it his life's purpose to try to make sure no one else has to endure that. It's so touching in the best of ways. And as we know from Professor Allison Galvani's study, published in February of 2020, that Bernie Sanders was talking about a lot, that uh, it was published in The Lancet. Um, she's the Yale epidemiologist who ran the study that over 68,500 lives a year are lost just the same way like Danny's precious one. And the fact that mm-hmm. Scott channels that into something so much beyond himself and his own inner cir- uh, social circle for all the people in the United States and the world is such a wonderful thing. And, and again, it, it motivates me so much that he fact, talks about how Kamala Harris looked in his eyes and said, oh, it won't happen again. Uh, you know, I was motivated to go to the Medicare for All March in, in Hollywood not too long ago when it was held. And and again, this is monumental that it's at the time when uh, Chris Smalls just led the huge victory for the Amazon workers in Staten yep. Island. And we're on a big roll here for the working people of the world and the working people of the United States to make these changes. If the situation was like 108 years ago during Thomas Woodrow, white supremacist Wilson's time, it would be like the Ludlow Massacre in Colorado. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but Howard Zinn talked about how it was one of the most violent escalations between labor and capital in the history of the U.S. When 12 workers were killed, 12 mining workers were killed in Colorado, five moms and two kids after Rockefeller organized that massacre because they were protesting the United Mining Workers, I believe. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past Bezos. I wouldn't put it past the healthcare care uh, conglomerates and their billionaires to do it. If they could, but they can't anymore because people like also Philip Randolph and Eugene Victor Debs and so on in the U.S. have fought since then and got some victories. And now we have people like Scott and Christian Smalls doing the same thing today, moving the ball forward. And I'm just so deeply appreciative and inspired by that. I'm inspired by you. That was that was beautiful. Thank you for for that, for for calling in and and sharing that with us. That was very well said. Uh, Scott, are you still there? Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for all your praise, but 
again, I, I will reiterate, I, I, I'm not nothing amazing. I'm just a pissed off dad. I mean, I, I would think there's plenty of dads that would be just as pissed off and travel the same path. I mean, it's again, I, I know I can't save Danny. There, there's all I could do is stop his murderers from hurting other people. That's and, and it's sick. I mean, this society, the best we could do is say, please stop killing our children to profit some billionaire. Yeah, wow. That's the best we got. But um, the, the last things I want to say before the end of the show, I, again, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, everybody that has fought alongside of us. Holy crap. I, I've adopted that suicide prevention hashtag. No one fights alone. Um, when people say, I don't know how you can do this. It's really not me. Um, I've been abused throughout my childhood in so many ways. And every time I stood up as a child, I was hit back in the head and told to shut up and sit down. And I learned that lesson. And that's why I live in still water in the middle of nowhere, because I wanted to get away from people where nobody could bother me, but I can't be quiet when they kill our children like this. Yeah, nor, I, I nor think, should you be quiet. Oh, go ahead, Rob. I was just gonna say, I, I think it's it's very important. Um, anger oftentimes gets this this negative connotation. Anger is a bad thing. Oh, stop being angry about X, Y, Z. I think anger is a really powerful emotion, and there are times when when we really need to lean into our anger and lean into the heartbreak, and instead of pushing away from it, because it can be a really powerful catalyst towards change. And, you know, I, I wish I could say it's, it's so hard to see how these things happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here today. I'm, I'm still breathing. So I don't want to in any way try to compare uh, what happened with Danny to what happened with me. But I spent over six months last year without access to a doctor, without access to be able to fill any of my prescriptions, uh, not because I did anything wrong, but because I had the uh, the careless mistake of, of being on Medi-Cal in California and, and switching addresses. I moved from the Bay Area to San Diego and there were issues and they there was paperwork that was supposed to be submitted that I had given everything I needed to do. I'd followed every single step and still I was left for half the year. I didn't have healthcare coverage. Um, and it's just, it's people, I think, when they don't hear these stories that they just assume, well, they didn't do something right. Oh, there was, you know, that's again, an individual's fault. And I think that really laying bare just how cruel and, and truly evil these, these systems that we have in place are, um, they, again, I liken it to, to saying like they, they throw all these landmines out on this, on this great park. Right. And you're told, yeah, go ahead and play in the park. Everything will be fine. And then when you step on a landmine and it blows your leg off and you say, why was this here? They said, well, you should have watched out. And and we as people, I think, in this country have for a long time really taken a lot of what is violence. Um, 68,000 people dying a year is violence. That's state mandated violence. And I think the the calls for anger, the, the demands for change and, and the channeling of our anger towards dismantling these systems of oppression i, I think it, it it's it's a must and i really hope um every day that that today is going to be the day that we kind of get over the hump that we've been trying to get over of, of going up against what are really some of the most powerful 
entrenched systems of power in the entire world. And, and we feel like we're just taking it on as individuals, but when we can come together and we can, and we can challenge and we can be creative and we can be innovative and think of what a, a future would look like without a for-profit healthcare system, right? When we can look past these, these things that keep us in society and, and, and keep us instilled in, in fear and debt and poverty, it's, we have to be brave enough to actually challenge it. And, and I think it really does help seeing someone like Scott, like being brave and fighting, it's contagious. And, and so again, Scott, I, I want to thank you again for, for coming on the show because um, it's, it's got me feeling fired up and I feel a little feisty right now. I'm not going to lie. And, and yes. Scott, to kind of wrap things up here, because I think we're nearing the end, I, I want to give you a chance to, uh, talk about Danny one more time. You know, what are you coming up on the three-year uh, anniversary of, of uh, his death? Uh, what do you want people to know about Danny? Uh, and uh, and how can people support uh, and donate to your rally uh, in New York for Danny? Um, first off, one thing about Danny, the boy constantly played. Like, <laughs> it was one of those annoying, won't stop, got to make you laugh and if you don't laugh I'm going to keep going until you get mad and yell at me and then laugh uh, it was bad but when I say that this isn't me what I mean by that is my fight is I and I'm not a very spiritual person but I believe all of our lives are at the very least in energy and energy cannot be destroyed mm. and my fight is definitely Danny's energy when he was young, he was um, bullying his sister, and I did something really bad and pushed some hard love on him. And he took away from that that he was never going to be bullied by anyone because I just kept pushing him, so showing him what it was like to be bullied. It was bad. Again, I'm a human, and I did something terrible. But Danny took away from that. He wasn't going to be bullied by anyone. And he was going to be strong enough to beat the bullies. And when he was younger, he started this gang, an anti-gang gang, where he was going to beat up bullies. And I tried to explain to him that you don't stop violence with violence, which is why he went to the bow staff to get out his anger. And he trained with the bow staff just to get out his anger, but still he endlessly played. So the reason I also wanted to bring up this event is called the unforgivable sin is the Catholic Church used to preach a tradition called the unforgivable sin, where if you took your own life, you were condemned to purgatory for eternity and never allowed into the gates of heaven. Yet Father Frawley has denied mental health patients every single day medications with a known suicidal risk. Mm. And if that's the Catholic Church's belief, then he is 100% guilty of every single one of those suicides. So he is guilty of the unforgivable sin of legalized manslaughter for profit. And anybody listening, please, if you can show up, show up at any one of the solidarity events, New York City, Albany, Tacoma, Sacramento, or Amherst, Fayetteville, any one of them. If you can't show up and you still want to help and you can donate $2, $5 to the fundraiser in the check, thank you. Um, it's going to be $1,000 for seven speakers for gas and tolls alone, not including hotels. We've got one driver coming in from eight hours, and then she's got to drive back eight hours. It's 
a lot of money. As we all know, gas is out of this off the charts right now. And lastly, if you can't fundraise, you can't help us with the fundraiser. I understand. Trust me, I understand. You could go to your city hall and hold a candle and support us in a solidarity event. Take a picture, put it online. Any action is a successful action as long as we show up. Everybody that fights for us, thank you. Scott, thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for being with us tonight. And uh, we put the links are, are in the chat. So anyone who wants to donate, uh, I, I donated $40 earlier today. I wish I could do more, um, but... Uh, I don't. I don't have all the money that they accuse me of online. I'm not this crazy grifter. If I was, I, I if I had more, I would donate more. But um, the links are in the chat for everyone uh, uh, to show up to the either to to show up to the rally or to donate. And again, thank you, thank you, Scott, for your courage uh, and your bravery. Uh, and you know, my heart goes out to you and your family. And uh, I hope that uh, you know, I I don't hope I will continue to fight. Uh, on behalf of Danny and on behalf of everyone who whose life was taken from them because they because of no fault of their own because of our uh, for profit uh, healthcare system that 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 puts the cr- profit of these corporations over the lives uh, of the of of our people and that's wrong and uh, we have to stand up and, and we have to fight for what we deserve which is a you know a guaranteed healthcare for everyone in this country. So I thank you everyone for being here and, uh, and thank you, Scott. Much love. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. Good night. Thank you, Rob. Much love, brother.